So I want to invite you to go to a well-known passage, Habakkuk chapter 3. And um, let me just uh, make sure that I get my thing straight over here. Okay, all right. Habakkuk chapter 3. We uh, read this passage, I believe, during the time of uh, the sermons on resiliency. But um, you will see why I think it seems logical to me now to read it again. Because it refers to one of two attitudes that we can adopt uh, when we confront crises in our life. And how to deal with the anxiety that results many times from these situations. And Habakkuk has a beautiful, beautiful, eloquent way of dealing with crisis. And he says, though the fig tree does not bud, it's not flower, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread, that is to walk confidently on the heights, the high places. So last uh, Sunday, I think it was, I, I spoke about um, anxiety and about the Lord's counsel to not fret, not engage or stay in an anxious state of mind. To consider many things around us that, that invite us to trust in the Lord, to a posture of confidence, trust, peace of mind. Um, and, um, you know, I spoke about the fact that the Bible over and over again counsels us to watch out against anxiety. And um, I, I thought about it a little bit more because I had told you last week that I needed to finish that, that, that message because there were many things that still um, needed to be addressed and it occurred to me over the course of the weekend, especially, that um, really in, in, a, in taking that approach that I took last Sunday, and the approach really that often preachers take regarding anxiety, you know, I was missing out on something. I, I was missing out on what I think requires a more complex analysis, looking at things a little more specifically and dividing things and separating essences a little bit more carefully. And that I needed to address really what, what, there's not just one kind of anxiety. There are actually at least, at least two and possibly maybe more kinds of anxiety and of worry and excessive concern and fretting that we need to keep in mind. And that the Bible addresses, I think, in different ways. So if I just kind of lump it all into one category, I run the risk of being overly simplistic. Because I think people will instinctively hear many times us preachers talk about, you know, confidence in the Lord and so on and so forth and, and not engaging too deeply in, in anxiety, in anxious attitudes. And they will simply say, well, yeah, you know, something inside of them. They may not even recognize it rationally and consciously, but something inside of them will say, yeah, but somehow, you know, that doesn't apply to what I'm experiencing. I agree with the truth of it, but there's a piece missing that, that I can't, I, I can't, that doesn't help me as much as I wish it would. So I thought about that, and I decided to, at the risk of, you know, being too exhausting and too, too exhaustive or, or too, you know, deep in the analysis, 
at least to mention these two areas of anxiety, concern, reaction to crisis, so that we know how to address them each, because they are, you will see, somewhat different. So I would say that for the purposes of this sermon, there are two types of anxiety and of striving. And by the way, again, my notes are in the, in the uh, uh, webpage, and I translated from the Spanish this morning. Uh, so, you know, Google is not perfect yet. Artificial intelligence has its uh, limitations, but I think it's pretty good. I tried to clean it up as much as I could, but it is from the Spanish to the English. So if you see something weird, blame Google to translate. But anyway, I would say there, there are two types of anxiety and striving that the Bible uh, refers to. One is what we might call uh, general anxiety. I might even say, to use a fancy term, pervasive anxiety. Um, a state of being. Um, the other, I would call, for lack of a better term, uh, specific anxiety. A reaction to some crisis, some situation, some threatening moment or circumstance that we face in our lives. So one is a kind of a, an attitude, 24 hours or, or, or at least an attitude in life, a posture of being. And the other is a reaction to something that threatens us in a particular moment. And they, they each have their sort of um, their origins and their, their own elements. And that we need to be able to, uh, to differentiate between one and the other. So specific anxiety and general anxiety. The first one... Um, general anxiety has, or, or striving or fretting is another word the Bible uses. It has to do with an attitude or posture towards life as a whole. A, a general um, disposition of, of the personality of the individual. A, a person who is inclined toward excessive worrying and, and placing too much importance on people, possessions, life events, achieving, um, acquiring it is, a, it is an attitude of, you know, fretting about everything and, and, and being, like, purpose-driven and having a, an agenda and so on and so forth and being excessively focused on, you know, acquiring something, on results. And what people sometimes call an A-type personality. Okay? And now this type of person often will live an anxious life. That person will be driven by one project after another, dedicating themselves too much to, to work, sometimes sacrificing human and family relationships to achieve something, preoccupied excessively with a success, with social position, achieving a certain goal in life and a, and a position of influence or recognition. A person who is attached excessively to material possessions. That is, you know, what I mean, that anxious life, anxious way of living. This type of person is generally focused on, on success, on achieving material goals. Or, or something that has to do with their image toward others or their influence and how they're seen by others. Buying that big house that gets you into huge debt because, you know, you're in a certain position and your friends need to uh, be aware of your, your, you've made it in life, okay? And, you know, even many Christians, after years and years of living the Christian life, live that way. Uh, and the Bible addresses believers who are like that. And that's, uh, Paul says in one, in one passage, you know, uh, uh, Godly attitude, piety, is great when it is accompanied by peace of mind. Meaning that there are people who have a lot of piety, loving the Lord, going to church, but they don't have peace of mind. They don't have uh, peace in their hearts. And, and so 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 17 says, um, to, to those uh, striving Christians, too obsessive, on, uh, and, and all, others who don't, you know, who don't know the Lord, he says, God 
commands the rich of this world not to be haughty. He's doing it in the context of counsel to believers. Of this world not to be haughty, not to put hope in riches which are uncertain, but to put their hope in the living God who gives us all things in abundance for our enjoyment. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, generous, laying up for themselves a good foundation for for what is to come, that they lay hold of eternal life. You know, that could be the sermon. If you read that and really get deep into it, that has all kinds of dividends that it will yield to you as you meditate on that. Instead of worrying about getting money and getting that big house and getting the BMW, you, you strive for goodness, for blessings in the spiritual life, for, for growth um, in, in the spiritual elements of life. And so these words, if you read the context, are addressed to a Christian audience, to believers, because often you, there are believers who are like that. They're materialists. They're focused uh, on success and so on and so forth. And again, talking about that general anxiety uh, disposition, because the things of the world are so important <clears throat> to the person who displays this type of general concern for the world, the circumstances and events of life, the ups and downs of daily living, they, they, they have what, what, they, what they experience has a great impact on their emotional state, because their emotional well-being is linked to these moments of achievement and of uh, success and, and abundance. So if, they, if, if, if things are going well and, and the uh, goals that they have set themselves are being achieved, the anxious individual feels happy, they're satisfied. The bills are paid, the BMW is in the parking garage and, you know, the, the big house is there with all the fancy furniture and so on, so they're happy. But if things go wrong and something, you know, threatens their agenda that they have set for themselves, or, or the long fought for prosperity and success that they have striven for, that person being gripped by the world and its influence on them, that person falls into anxiety in the pits of depression. They're like a roller coaster. Life is like a roller coaster. Up and then down uh, disastrously. Continuous ups and downs and emotional instability because they're linked. They have yoked their life to what by nature is uh, passing and, and, and uh, changing and fluctuating. So their life will fluctuate with the changes in circumstances, which will happen inevitably. Now, the second type of anxiety, what I have called specific anxiety, refers to uh, an unpleasant emotional sp- state that to some extent, you have to say, is legitimate and is very understandable. It is about those moments in life when we are going through a specific crisis situation that threatens our well-being, our, our, our survival, our stability, things that we naturally and, and legitimately consider important to our well-being. For example, the loss of a job that we require to pay for those debts that we have sometimes very legitimate in our life, the housing and, and food for our kids and the uniforms of school and, and you know, the, the, the Toyota that we have. I mean, you know, these, these things, you know, they, all of a sudden you lose, your, you're threatened with the loss of your job, things are not going well, and you might lose your job. Of course, I think it is, it is natural to feel 
you know, threatened by that and to feel a bit anxious about it. If you don't, then I think you need a, a, a psychiatrist really to analyze. Maybe not. Maybe you are so such a, a strong human being and believer that you, you can. But generally, you know, normal human beings will feel a certain level of anxiety at moments that stress them and, and that uh, put them in danger of losing something that is very important for their well-being. You can think of a family crisis, a marriage that is crumbling, um, uh, you know, fighting with your children, a child that um, all of a sudden, uh, you know, is using drugs or, or misbehaving in school. And, and this child, you had all kinds of dreams for, and you still do. Of course, you know, you, you're going to be uh, anxious about their, their future and about what that means for you, your family. You, you get diagnosed for a, a severe illness or, or a long period at, at work with many demands and situations in which you feel deficient and overwhelmed by the tasks that lie ahead. Sometimes I'm, I'm facing long weekends, like just the one that we had uh, this weekend, where, you know, all kinds of stuff happens, and, and good, good things. You know, a conference that you have, you're, you're very important in playing a significant role, and you have to talk many times, and then in the evening you have to preach at a significant event, and then Saturday the event at Hopkinton State Park and all the planning that takes place, and then here we are with the, our dear Mayor Janey coming at 12 o'clock and so on and so forth. You know, all of these concerns, they, they become a, none of them are life-threatening, but they create a mass of concern in us. And when you're asleep and your conscience is, your, your, your will is uh, low because you, you sort of let go, all of these uh, bad odors invade your space and you experience anxiety. And then you wake up and, and you're okay because you're, you know, the wall of your will all of a sudden rises again and you're solid. But that's, that's the way life is, you know. It, it is understandable that in those situations we might feel anxious and worried. It is easy to identify what is causing you anxiety? It is due to a specific situation, an identifiable threat that has come into your space. And, you know, that's what I would call specific as opposed to, you know, an attitude, a general attitude that you, it just makes you feel that way because, you know, you're living like that as a whole. Now, these two conditions, general anxiety and uh, specific anxiety, are, are different and they require, therefore, <clears throat> diff different solutions different approaches. And the Bible, the Word of God, has something to say about both of them. Major, would you pass me the water, please? I, I don't want to keep wasting bottles of water. I always forget to bring it up with me. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Um, so, um, it, it, properly treating these two attitudes, these conditions, would require, really, at least one sermon for each. And we don't have that, that luxury for different reasons. So I'm going to try to compress it. And please forgive me. Sometimes, you know, you take long in these things. We will, we will uh, be careful with the time. But, um, you know, either that or, you know, I preach next time four, three Sundays, four Sundays from now. And so, um, you know, I, I, by then you won't even remember what the word anxiety means. But I, so I just want to be exhaustive here. Um, you know, the words of Jesus that I, I uh, based my sermon last Sunday on, chapter 12 of Luke, verses 22 to 34, really, when you ana analyze it, they're more appropriate for the first condition, an attitude of fretting, of uh, being overly concerned about the things of the world and, and, you know, striving for things, the Martha kind of attitude. Uh, that's the first, you know, that general anxiety, the exaggerated love for the world and the things of the world, the concern for this and that and money and, you know, riches and, and uh, stability and so on and so forth, which keeps us in a perpetual state of anxiety. 
and excitement and uncertainty because we're yoked to the world. And regarding this attitude, Jesus right, rightfully says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Or the Bible, no, not Jesus, but the Bible says, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, it says, in other words, if anybody is so yoked to the world, so connected to the world that it, it becomes their, their universe and their horizon, um, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. I may be reading from a different uh, um, version there. It, could, it would help to have maybe the uh, NIV version, but that's all right. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. But the world and its desires, in other words, all its, all its striving, all the energy that we invest, <clears throat> the world and its desires pass away. They are ephemeral. They are passing. They are fragile. They are evanescent. But whoever does the will of God, what? Lives forever. In other words, here you have two scenarios, one that is passing and fragile and another one that is solid and, you know, dependable. Now, the, the Bible, and here's one uh, sort of antidote for this kind of attitude. The Bible calls us to set our sights on things above, not on the things of the world, to, I think, preemptively set our affections on the things of the Spirit, to grow continually in the knowledge of God and His Word, to sanctify ourselves, to consecrate ourselves, to separate ourselves from the world, and, and to put the emphasis on growing spiritually every day, developing ourselves, like that young man was talking about. You know, I mean, sometimes young people, and all of us really, are so addicted to our iPhones. And just taking, you know, saying, you know what, I'm not going to be ruled by this four-inch thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have dominion over it. Instead of it dominating my life. You know, if you cannot live without anything in this world, there's something wrong. You're making it into your God. You have to establish your independence. And then you can use it. The Apostle Paul says, I will not be enslaved by anything in this world. That is the, the Christian's uh, sort of value declaration. You have to have independence of anything that is linked to time and space. And your affections have to be set on eternity. So believers, uh, they... They uh, adopt a preventive attitude by saying, you know what, I'm not going to love or be focused on anything of this world. My priority is the things of the Spirit. I'm going to grow in the knowledge of God. I'm going to examine my character in the light of Scripture and anything that competes with the holiness and the power and the Christ-likeness that God calls us to, I'm going to fight against. That's going to be my giant. And I'm going to try to embrace the goodness and the character of a mature believer. We, we spend time and prayer, and effort, conforming our personality each day more and more to the principles of the gospel and the character of Jesus Christ. Is growing up in Christ the, the number one value in your life? Hmm? Becoming more like Christ? Chopping away like a, a divine sculpture uh, or sculptor at anything that conflicts with the image that is encased in all the paraphernalia of life, cleansing all that muck out until Christ shines through your life and being implacable in your decision to become like Christ. When that becomes your agenda in life, then there's little room for just a, a love being and becoming obsessed 
by the world. That should be your paramount concern in life. The, the, the Bible tells us that if we have sustenance and shelter and clothing, we should be happy with it. That is the, that is the platform, you know, that is the basic attitude that we should have in, in our lives. You know, and that is not to say, I, I cure myself in health, that we should not strive for excellence and that we should not try to live a, a comfortable and enjoyable life. I think, you know, we should aim for good things and to, there's nothing wrong with riches and with a comfortable lifestyle. The Bible actually says that God prospers those that love him and that he loves as well. So we should not be ashamed. I think there are people who are ashamed of, you know, having a nice house and having a good car and having a great job and, and having a business. This, this, this crazy values that are not of the kingdom. Because when you examine the kingdom, the Bible does say that God blesses and prospers those that love him and that serve him and that give him what he deserves. Um, but what we are warned against is clinging to material things and basing our happiness on the objects we accumulate and the success that we can achieve. That is where the deathly, the deadly element lies. It's not in having those things, but in them having us, in them controlling us and dominating our state of mind. As children of God, our happiness must depend above all on our relationship with our Heavenly Father, on knowing that our eternal destiny is settled and guaranteed by Jesus Christ, on being useful to the kingdom of God, on winning souls for Jesus Christ, on advancing the kingdom, on knowing that we are instrumental in advancing the plans of God for the world. That, that should be the platform for our happiness, all right? That, that is what we pr place priority on. Everything else is great, but that box has to be checked before we strive for other things. It's not that we should not strive for them, but we should do it in a way that is godly, biblical, sober, balanced, and uh, conditioned by our state as, as instruments of the kingdom in, in the world. So we should strive for lives of excellence and, 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 and try to achieve high goals. But our peace, our contentment should not depend on these things. If we get them, great. We're thankful for them. We use them to serve others, by the way, as well, and bless others. We enjoy them, and we thank the Lord. But if we don't obtain them, if we lose them, we can still recover and live happy lives. This is what we have alluded to when we spoke about resiliency. Is that capacity to rebound, to bounce back from great losses and not being overwhelmed and destroyed by having lost something that we cherished. We know that life is more than material things, more than clothing, more than food, more than a big, nice house. Here's another thing also. So, you know, place your, place your focus and your love and your affection on the things of the Spirit. Another thing is... You know, the, the, the Word of God calls us to live simple lives. This is a corollary. This is, a, this is dependent on that first uh, principle that we've talked about. It's related to it. The, the Word of God calls us to, to enjoy simplicity, to be content with simplicity, the, to, to enjoy the simple pleasures of life, of friendship, of family, of nature, of rest, of meditation on spiritual and eternal matters. And as I see my brother come up, which he should do, and I look at the time, I'm saying, man, I won't, I won't get to where I need to get. I'm becoming anxious all of a sudden about that. <laughs> but uh, hey, that's all right. We'll, we'll find a way. We'll find a way. Okay? 
to be content with simplicity, it's such a beautiful word, such a powerful word. You know the Quakers, it's a, it's a, it's a sector of American religion and his history. The Quakers, read about them. You know, the, the emphasis of the Quakers has always, has always been about simplicity, about elegance, uh, of uh, simple lines in, uh, let's say, furniture and architecture, of things that are durable. They're solid, but they're simple. You know, you look at a Quaker um, rocking chair, for example. It threatens to break when anybody sits on it because, you know, the, the lines are very slim and the, the joints are almost invisible. But try it and you'll see how strong they are uh, because there's an, uh, there's an element of that, you know. I think Japanese Zen Buddhism as well has that element of, you know, simplicity. And it's so beautiful when you can live like that, when you can enjoy the simplicity of life. Um, there's an elegance. There's an economy about that. You travel light, and, and uh, the world has no hold on you. So I, I admire that kind of value about simplicity. We should learn to enjoy simplicity. And I, I believe this, that only people who can live simply can enjoy abundance and wealth. They are the ones who are really qualified to enjoy. When God gives them great wealth or, or, or comfort, amen, enjoy it. Eat that steak. Take that trip and so on. But you know that that's not where you're value lies, that a little bread with some olive oil and a little salt, in my case, it goes a long way, and you can enjoy a nice tuna fish sandwich, well done, and uh, that you don't need all the other paraphernalia. There are people who need to, you know, they, they don't know what to do with their money, so they're always looking for a restaurant that offers something different and, and new and, you know, chic, because they don't, they're already out, they don't realize that, they don't need that, but they need that simply as a symbol, because others are telling them that that's important. But really, I love simple food. I love simple environments. Uh, and, and, you know, then you can enjoy all the other stuff as well. But learn to enjoy simplicity. When we learn to be content with simple things, then we are able to enjoy the riches that God may grant us if, this is, if it is his will. With that attitude in mind, you know, material things don't control us. We manage them instead of them managing us. And that is something to strive for. If you can achieve that, you're a philosopher. You are, you are a man or a woman in control of yourself. You are powerful. And you have achieved true success. <clears throat> having, clothing, <clears throat> having clothing, food, and shelter, we must learn to be content with this as the foundation, the platform for other things. You know, here's another element I think is important. Material possessions, they offer their advantages and, uh, and pleasures, yes. But you know what? They are not unmitigated blessings. They bring with them also worries and burdens. You know, there's always a trade-off in life. You know, um, we think somehow, oh, man, if I achieve this, if I get that, if I acquire this, then, you know, but that comes with a cost as well. The world is full of inertia, and everything that you invest has, has something. There's a counter-reaction to it. Energy is required for any exertion, anything that you acquire in the world. You move a car, and you have to pay for gas. You buy a house, and you have to pay more taxes, and you have to keep the house clean. A bigger house means more cleaning, more work. You know, the nature of life is such that I don't think there's any goodness that results without some sort of exertion in the opposite direction, because that is the nature of the fall. That is the nature of the sinfulness of the world. Everything costs. And so when we just focus on the, on the 
the attractions of acquiring something, we are neglecting an important piece because there's always a counter reaction. There's always a counter cost. And that is, that is in life um, a, a, a primal rule that you need to remember as you strive for something. You know, the, the, the Bible says, uh, do not trust in, exert, in extortion, Psalm 62.10. And that word seems to be very complex in the original Hebrew because it means do, do not trust in force, acquiring something, forcing things, and, you know, the exertion of, of power in life. Don't put vain hope in stolen goods. How many people pay a huge price for getting something? They, stole, they steal, maybe not necessarily from others, but they steal from themselves many times to get something. So I think you can expand the meaning of that. Do not trust in extortion or violence or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. You see that? Do not set your heart on them. That's where the problem lies. The love, the affection, the, the connecting yourself illegitimately to something that is not. It, it's not. The creature is not the creator. When you, when you connect yourself, when you plug yourself to anything of this world, you are all of a sudden doing, uh, you're committing a crime. <laughs> you are violating the law because you're turning these things into your God. You, it, it, there are sacred places of the soul that should never be invaded by anything but God himself. When we do that, we are committing deep adultery in our spirit. The Bible says that when wealth increases, so do those who consume it. Have you, have you heard that? Cuando aumentan las riquezas, aumentan los que la consumen. You know, you have a lot of money and all of a sudden you get relatives and friends that you didn't even know existed. <laughs> they decide to visit you now. You know, they decide to send you a nice gift for your birthday. When you have a cold, that they come with, you know, uh, cough drops and stuff. You never saw them before, but all of a sudden you won the lottery and, you know, friends multiply. You move to uh, Disney, you know, Orlando, and all of a sudden people want to come and visit you from all over the place. You know, when riches increase, um, people will come out of the woodwork and, you know, you will have debts, all kinds of stuff that come with it. So the Bible says, hey, don't, don't think of wealth as just um, something that is unmitigated in its worth. Solomon says, sweet is the dream of the laborer. Eat a, eat a lot or eat little. That's my own inelegant translation. Sweet is the dream of the laborer. Eat a lot or eat little. But wealth does not let the rich sleep. Dulce es el sueño del trabajador. Pero al rico las riquezas no le dejan dormir. If you're wealthy, you're always thinking about how you could Lose your wealth. You know, the guy who, who gets home, sometimes I envy them, and sometimes I tell my wife whimsically, you know, when I see a taxi driver, I said, you know, that guy, when he gets home, maybe I'm, mis mis uh, I'm, I'm uh, underestimating him. You know, he, he'll get home, he'll have a ham sandwich or, or a nice steak or, or a pork chop and watch the, the game of the Bruins or whoever, whatever's on TV. And, you know, others, you know, like, we, 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 we're always doing one thing or the other. We have a, apparently a very challenging, lovely life, and they may envy us, but really, sometimes we envy the simplicity of their life, the well-defined boundaries of work and rest and so on and so forth. You know, when you have a lot, whether it's intellect or material wealth or, or uh, uh, prestige, it has its burdens as well. It, it just happens. It comes with the territory of the sinfulness of the universe that we inhabit. 
So we have to take possessions and success in the world with a grain of salt. Even as we value them, even as we strive for them in a godly way, we should know that they come with their little thorns as well. They come with their cost. Taxes are attached to them. And we always have to pay the devil his toll, you know, because this is the world that we inhabit. It is like that. So let's not become enamored of all of these uh, apparently grand things. And one final thing, and I will leave the other piece. I, I think, by the way, it's one of the most interesting. So keep, keep in tune. If I remember, I will speak about it the next time I, I'm here, about this specific anxiety and how to deal with it. Because I believe that that's really one of the most important pieces for all of us. Um, but we, we won't have time. But, um, you know, one final element that is really important. The Bible calls us to recognize the illusory nature and character of the world. Fancy word. Illusory means illusion, related to illusion, to non-reality, to fleeting, the fleeting nature of the world. The, the, the fact that the world appears to be real, but it is not. Ask any Buddhist or Hindu about it, and he, they will tell you. you know, they, sometimes they have more insight. The Bible does the same thing, but in a different way, but these people have really develop into an art. You know, uh, the, the, what we think is solid, that chair seems solid, hard. You know, physics, quantum physics tells us that, no, it's made out of energy. And if you were to really look at its true nature, you will see a, a pulsating net of uh, atoms and, and energy that makes it seem that it is hard, but it is not. What you think is past and present, physicists will tell you that there's no such thing in reality. These are conveniences that we use for our brain structure. But the world, watch Star Trek. If, you, if that seems too heavy for you, watch, uh, you know, Star Trek, which I've been watching <laughs> obsessively lately. You know, but um, the world really is a, is a definition of conveniences that we use to adapt to this body, this material body that God has created us in. But uh, the true nature, the deeper you get into the true nature of the world, you realize that it's very process-oriented. It's, it's, it's vibrating. It's, uh, it's untouchable. It's undefinable. And really, that's what the world is. And I think the sooner you, we get used to that, I think the, f the, the freer we can, we can live. The world is an illusion. Um, and, you know, the Bible reminds us of this in a very simple way over and over again. Here's Psalm 103, verse 15. Man or woman, human beings are like grass. Like grass are his days. He blooms like the flower of the field. Then the wind passed through it and it perished. And her place will not know her anymore. Think about dandelions in the field. Beautiful little structures. The wind comes and it just dissipates into nothing. And, and the, the, the writer says, you know, this is the way human beings are. You see this powerful man exercising all kinds of influence at a world level. A cancer strikes him and he shrivels like nothing and has to go in the same direction of all his other counterparts throughout history. We're not exempt from that. We're all fragile beings. We're all frail and, and, and inclined to sin, to, be, to break, to commit mistakes, to become sick to lose what we prize, to offend those that we love. That's the nature of humanity. And, and the Bible says, you know, remember that. 
when you're in your moment of great prosperity, know that that is a frail thing. It, it really has no meaning ultimately in the light of eternity. Solomon reminds us, he says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And he doesn't, he doesn't say that uh, as a tragedy. He says it as a recognition, a philosophical truth that I suspect that he found empowering. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The sooner we become disenchanted with the world, the more prepared we will be to be content and to live in peace. The world is fleeting and imperfect. It specializes in giving us affliction, as Jesus says. The only thing permanent, my dear brothers and sisters, the only thing true and permanent and real is the eternal. We have to practice this type of thinking and, and internalize it until it becomes a philosophy of life. We have to rehearse these principles over and over again in our mind. We have to use every opportunity that we can. When people praise you and, and when, you, when you achieve something great and you feel that you're on top of the world, administer to yourself a pill of disenchantment. Don't ingest the, the praise of people. Remit it immediately to the Lord. Do not stay with anything that flatters you or that makes you feel that somehow you made it or that now you can rest and, and not worry about the future or, or not be concerned about the future. Immediately say to yourself, this is all vanity. I don't deserve this. This is not mine. I didn't earn this. God gave it to me. And he has the, the, the title to that. You always have to practice that, you know. Um, it has to become a philosophy of life, an outlook that you rehearse continually in your mind and that you reinforce through continual meditation. What truly matters is what lies on the other side of this world. You know, when the Bible, as, as it recognizes the illusory nature, the passing character of the world, the Bible opposes the ultimate reality, the durability of the eternal. And it counsels us to strive above all to accumulate points for eternal life. That's what the Bible says. Instead of getting brownie points for this world, why don't you invest in the other? When you get that, you're going to have a huge reward. And nobody will be able to take it away from you. There's, there's not going to be any, if, uh, you know, um, recessions or, or, or loss of interest or whatever. It, that lasts forever. So invest in that. In Psalms 103, that same psalm that I just quoted about man being like a flower of the field, we're told that man, um, that uh, says the Lord's mercy, but the Lord's mercy, but, that but is very important, but the Lord's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Man is frail like a passing flower, but the Lord's mercy, which you should be seeking, is from everlasting to everlasting. The nature of his kingdom does not collapse on those who fear him, it says. And his justice over the children's children. You want your children to be blessed? Invest now in your life so that your children will reap the benefit of your righteousness. God blesses generations. The third, the fourth generation. I want to invest in that future. In his justice over the children's children. On those who keep his covenant. And those who remember his commandments to do them. Where do you want to put your interest? Jesus warns us, says, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where thieves neither break through nor steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be I want to invite us all including he who is speaking to you right now to that posture let's 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 lay up our treasure in heaven okay yeah work hard seize the day whatever comes to your hand enjoy it and give it your best but at the end of the day know that it is all vanity of vanities when you die you'll have to leave even your underclothes here in the world you will not take anything with you not even your body by the way none of it everything is left here all the knowledge of a genius is wasted left here in the world and it's time goes comes to go all the knowledge of a huge musician a great genius in music and art it all stays here it just dissipates <laughs> disappears into nothingness so let's 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 reinforce these understandings on our lives father i we we pray that you will make us wise discerning human beings that we will lay our treasure in the proper place that we will every day take an injection of futility and uh, know what truly matters that we will look to heaven for our enjoyment and our comfort and our hope that we will be wise men and women who will put our trust in you and our delight in you and you alone Father Give us wisdom. Give us knowledge. Now, <clears throat> before we have to contend with the crisis, now, help us to not fall in love with anything of this world. Not even in your kingdom should we fret. Let us not yoke our self-esteem, our joy to anything of this world, Father, but to you. And I pray for peace to run through these words into the heart of your people this morning. May we rest in you, Father. May we be pliable and uh, mobile and agile in life, navigating every moment, every change, every fluctuation with great agility as we let ourselves be carried by you and you alone. Give us the true values. And we renounce right now, renounce people of God, fretting, renounce anxiety, renounce being overly concerned about this world. Whatever it is, renounce it right now in Jesus' name. Father, we embrace you alone. And we renounce desire for revenge, resentment, grieving, lusting for whatever it is, clinging on to debts that others have incurred respect to us we renounce it all we, we let go of it right now father for the treasure of having you having you and you alone may this message and its content be understandable to every soul here present from the youngest child to the oldest person make it make it digestible father right now and we thank you for your truth good word in Jesus name. Amen and amen. God bless you.